Today's Hope FM Breakfast Show is brought to you by Chester Pierce Funeral Service. For individual support as unique as your loved one, visit chesterpierce.com. Uh, well, the time is 17 minutes after 8 o'clock and uh, Steve Nimmo, uh, who is the founder of uh, Chester Pierce Funeral Services, is with me right now in the studio, actually. Uh, do, do you feel liberated, Steve? Totally. Completely yes. liberated. Yeah, because actually we have, well, we talked several times on the phone and uh, and we've met a, we couple, a couple of times, yeah. keeping distance. And in fact, we're keeping our distance uh, now. We are. So, I mean, obviously coming out of, of lockdown has big changes for Everybody, what has it meant for you in the in the funeral industry? I think, from a personal perspective, in, in terms of our business, it hasn't actually really meant much uh, because we've, as we've spoken on the phone before, we've tried very hard to continue offering the service that we've offered before uh, and and throughout lockdown. Um, I think I think the main thing that we're seeing is changes in numbers. So we're now seeing that more people are allowed to attend funerals than before. Certainly at the crematoriums, uh, the churches are open again which has been a huge thing for a lot of people. And um, and, and so it's given people more a sense of freedom, I think. Um, so there's still some restrictions that I'm not completely comfortable with, and we're working our hardest to get around those. But, but generally speaking, just that opening of space has made a big difference for people, I think, to be able to feel they can celebrate their loved one's lives better. Actually, I had a friend of mine, his mother died just just, just in, in this, this last week, and uh, he was telling me that I think they can have 30 uh, at the funeral at the church. But he said that normally, because she was quite a character in the community where she was, that they would probably have had something like 200 people that would have wanted to come. Are, are people beginning to talk to you about you know when they can have a, I mean, obviously, right now you're restricted with those numbers, but but what about afterwards? Do you think there'd be memorials, and are you being asked as a, as, a, as a funeral service, you know, to think about what you might do, help relatives going forward? Already, and that's been going on since March. Um, and the memorial service idea is is an obvious one, um, but I think people. What what we try to do at Chester Pierce more than anything is to try and get people to expand their thinking, not to come in with a very narrow, well, I suppose I can only do this, I'm only allowed to do this, I've seen on the news only this is possible. So what we're trying to do is to say to people, look, let's actually look at what you can do. Let's look at what we can do maybe to get around some of these regulations. Um, and I've given examples in the past, but um, but, you know, this idea of allowing people to gather in a place other than where the service is happening so that they can at least acknowledge the person that's died so we've seen people lining streets we've seen people gathering to applaud the hearse as it's gone by uh, we've done various stops uh, just recently I, I actually um, oversaw a funeral up in uh, up in Manchester and we had three different stops on the way to the crematorium we had a cricket club stop we had a church stop and it just enabled people to gather in those places that, that, that meant something to this lady um, and then they were able to pay their respects before the hearse then moved on to the next step. So it was families saying, we want to... Do you know, Blair, it's as much about families wanting to acknowledge people and understand that they also have a need. They have a need to be able to say goodbye. And if we can help them acknowledge that and help them to come up with a way that's possible, either now or in the future when things do finally open up, 
then certainly that's what that's become a very large part of our responsibility. Mm-hmm. I mean, I noticed with Vera Lynn's funeral, I, I watched a wee bit of uh, well the news clips, you know, on that, and they were doing exactly that. The the hearse actually, you know took a tour mm. so that people could, although actually people did turn out mm. they were distant but mm. they, they turned out in the village yeah. you know where, where, where she was mm. I mean going back to the, the whole aspect of death I mean I know you work uh, in many other countries and so on uh, and, and in our own country of course so we, death is not something that we talk a lot about is that true in all of the countries that that you've been working with? Oh gosh no now I mean there's some that we've you know you come across almost as, a, as an Englishman arriving in these places it's actually quite overwhelming this need to talk about it um and and although i'm somebody who actively promotes talking about somebody's you know death or and bearing in mind a lot of the work i do abroad is actually on a much bigger scale so it's multiple fatalities um plane crashes in particular i've looked after a number of those in the past um so you're dealing with death on a big scale so it's bound to be something that that isn't just an individual situation for one family it involves sometimes hundreds of people have died um, and that that creates a commonality, so those people then all gather together, and it, actually they talk about nothing else because they it's all consuming. But actually, do you know there is a in the world there are these places that that death is a much more open subject, um, and and I've had the privilege of working with with in those countries where I mean in the Middle East, for example, um, actually death is kind of negligible in terms of the actual person that's died they, they say that's why you know we, we bury very quickly um this, also the heat of the country uh, I reckon, yeah, yeah. And, but they look at us like we're balmy in terms of well why does it take they look at me and, well why does it take you two weeks to arrange a funeral what's the matter with you people um well actually over in places like the middle east there's already a place prepared and the person's taken to the cemetery and they're put in a hole they're not worried about are they buried near their mother or their father or you know so so people have different but then again the way they celebrate death and the life of that individual is over a much longer span that involves huge numbers of people coming to the house, eating, drinking, um, you know, sharing, sharing with that family. So, yeah, you know, it is different. But in the UK, we're, we, it's still a, a bit of a taboo, I would say, that we're, we're slowly seeing it change. Mm. Uh, we're more comfortable with talking about it now. I suppose that sudden death is, is one thing. Because obviously if somebody dies suddenly, like my friend's mum, mm. she died very suddenly. It was unexpected. So all of a sudden the family are, are in a complete mm. spin because they, they, they probably hadn't m- sort of made any pre-arrangements mm. beforehand. But if where somebody knows that they have, uh, you know, say a terminal illness and so on, are they then more disposed to talk to somebody like you? Uh, I mean, uh, clearly we should all be talking to somebody mm-hmm. about you, whether we know we're going to go tomorrow or or six months or mm-hmm. whatever. None of us really know, do we? But, but I mean, people who know that, that they're going to leave, um, are, they, are they better talking to you? Oh, absolutely. And, and what fascinates me is it's the person, who's, the person who's doing the dying, as I would put it, is generally speaking much more at ease with their situation than the people around them. So when you're told you're dying, and this again is only from experience of talking to people in this situation, they come to a point of acceptance. And they accept that this is their time, whether it's early or late or however it may be. And as they, part of that kind of process is wanting to gain some control. And what we're able to do is to give them that control by saying, well, okay, let's help you make some decisions about what you'd like to do when you, you, know, when you, when you leave us. Um, and it's generally speaking families who struggle with that because they're still coming to terms with the loss of that person and how life is going to be without them. So it's totally understandable. 
So very often conversations are had on a one-to-one. Um, it might be in a hospice setting, it could be in a nursing home setting, it could be at home. But those people are ready to talk and they've lost so much control. They've lost, they, they've lost the life they thought they were due to have. Um, and, and so I mean, we call it death out of time. And so what we're saying is, OK, let's let's help you make some decisions, which at least gives you some control back about how this is going to look. The medical profession do it. The medical profession do it all the time, you know, in hospices and so on. What can we do to make you more comfortable? It, it could be about, you know, even in terms of, I don't know, what pictures you have hanging on the wall. Simple things. Um, well, why can't why aren't we doing the same and saying, well, beyond death? we should be looking at what we can do for you to make sure that you have a knowledge that moving forward, your wishes are going to be taken into account when the time comes. This is Hope FM. Well, we're talking death and funerals uh, in a positive way this morning. Now, sadly, as you will know, and we've been made aware of it through the sort of COVID time about scams, you know, people are taken for a ride in all sorts of different ways. Now, in the funeral industry, it's no different because there are a lot of well, I guess the word would be cowboys, mm-hmm. you know, out, out there. Steve, how do, you, how do you know the difference? How does the average person know uh, that they may be being scammed, particularly in something as, as sensitive as, as, as death and, and funerals and so on? It's called a grief purchase, um, an emotional purchase. Uh, and I think that's, that's where the problem begins. Now, in the vast majority of cases, there will be somebody who takes control and normally it's a person who has, you know, very sensible, um, maybe not as emotionally involved in, in the, the loss of a loved one. Um, but I, I always recall the story of years ago, I used to know somebody uh, in the industry and I could actually tell you, for example, I could tell you which coffin that that funeral would have on it before the family even entered the room. And the reason I could tell you is because of the, the way he phrased everything he did. And we're going back at old school Yes. Undertaker, for want of a better word, I guess. So he used to he used to start out his spiel with now. Now we must remember, this is going to be the last thing you're going to do for mother. Mm. Well, with that one phrase, of course, assuming that it, they had a good relationship with yes, mother, yes, exactly, yes. And and you would then floor that family by thinking, oh my goodness, this is the last thing we're going to do for mum. So we need to make sure we do everything. Um, and so you know, the coffin would be very much sort of more higher up the range, and so on. Um, I, I think that the the way we can very often. We, we often have families who will come to us maybe having already, you know, spoken to other funeral directors and so on. Um, and it might just be a case of some of the things they're telling us that, you know, we were told this or um, and there has been stuff in the press in the past about companies who've said, well, if you're going to do this, then we have to do this. And that's the cost of it. Well, actually, you don't have to do anything. And I think that's the baseline that we have to start from. And it could be everyone has an idea uh, and, you know, whether it be a, a coffins or urns or vehicles or any other such thing. And uh, there's what I would call fads. People sometimes say to me, well, we'll have a cardboard coffin because that's cheapest. Well, actually, cardboard coffins aren't that cheap because at the moment we don't use them a lot. So um, it would be very easy to get drawn in. Oh, yes, yes, have one of those. Because, a green funeral. Uh, yes, yeah. yeah. So, so I think what we have to do is we have to be very honest um, and I have to say, around our area, we're very blessed with some fantastic funeral directors, uh, some service, you know, funeral services. And we have to be really honest and upfront with families and say, look, you have a blank canvas to work from here. Nobody's forcing you to do anything. And if you want to have the very, very cheapest coffin available, then it's our responsibility to give that to you. 
not to try and persuade you to have something more than that. I guess it's an argument why thinking about these things long in advance of, of death actually occurring it becomes very important because if if you wait till the, when, until death has actually happened, it's, people are in such a spin mm. and often, of course, they don't, they don't know what to do. And I, I know that this is where also you come in because you're, you're the friend there yeah. to help people through it, to, to do the ABCs of, mm. of, of what to do. Mm. But I know you equally would be enthusiastically saying, but don't, don't leave it until... No. The, the last minute is there a, a kite mark a um i mean if i was if i was wanting to plan a funeral I mean, how would i know the difference between a good funeral director service uh and not such a good one sadly you wouldn't not by any kind of i mean there there are organizations like the national association of funeral directors there's safe which is another organization but there is actually no regulation in the industry so anybody, if you if you choose to look, walk out of the studio this morning and go to your garden shed and put funeral director over the top of the door and tell people that's what you are, there's nothing stopping you doing that. Mm. And and that's always fascinated me. And it's something we've actually, we, we do a lot of work um, to try and change that. Um, I'm involved in training and education, for example, of funeral directors or potential funeral directors. Um, and so, you know, we've had a lot of success around the country with people opening up funeral services as a result of the training that we've done. But I think that, you know, reputation is, is a big thing. Talk to people. Talk to your neighbour. Talk to your friend. Talk to other family members. Um, I mean, we've been, I've been a funeral director for 25 years. I've been operating Chester Pierce for 10 of those. And it's such a privilege to have families come back again and again because you know you looked after them and you know that they've learned to trust you. But the best way to find out if a funeral director is worth its salt is to ask around and not be afraid to challenge them. So often, because of the job we do, there's this kind of almost reverence towards us. Now, I probably shouldn't knock that. I should probably be quite pleased about that. But actually, no, I want somebody to come in and ask me the questions and to challenge me and say, look, why not? Why can't I? And especially at the moment with, with lockdown and coronavirus and all of that, we want people to be saying, why can't I do that? And there has to be a reason. And if there isn't, leave and find someone who will give you that reason and who will justify it to you because nobody should be afraid to say that's why or yes we can do it one of the two and of course the other thing is that if people start with a blank sheet and they 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 have a something in their mind of what they want you know i guess that that uh, the only thing that would constrain them would maybe be rules and regulations around burial grounds or churches or mm. the other, other parties that are, are involved but i guess that somebody like yourself having experience in that and doing it all the time would know what's going to be acceptable and and and, and what's not but, but at the same time it doesn't stop people being creative no and it's about saying to somebody look tell me the first thing we should be asking is tell me what you want uh, we normally operate over maybe two or three conversations. So our first conversation is let's just get an outline. Talk to me about the person you've lost. Talk to me about you as a family. What have you, you know, who were they? And now these are the things I want you to think about. And then the second conversation is a much more detailed, let's start to really think about what this is going to look like. But sometimes we'll be saying to families, actually, I know you thought that going to that crematorium was where you wanted to go, but in order to achieve what you want to, maybe actually that's not the best place to go to because especially again at the moment the regulations are such that you can't do that and I mean we deal we have for example at the moment I'm looking after a gentleman who who recently retired from the military 32 years service so naturally that's going to be a very large funeral 
So we're already talking to his family about, well, there are restrictions, but what are we going to do to accommodate the two, three hundred people that are bound to want to be in, in attendance? So there's hotels, there's everybody else, isn't there? Of course there is. Yeah. And so it's really about that. The blank canvas gives us the opportunity to take families into a place where they need to be to achieve their outcome. And I think that's where the mistakes happen is it's almost like, right, so you want a cremation, right, well, that'll be there. And then you want to do that. Well, that'll be there. And because you live there, that'll be there. It's, you know, it's a misnomer, for example, that if you live in Bournemouth, you have to go to Bournemouth crematorium. If you live in Pool, you have to go to Pool. It's rubbish. If you, you live go. in Bournemouth, you can go to Salisbury. You can go wherever you want to go, you know, and there's some beautiful private crematoriums not too far away that perhaps maybe because they're private and not run by the council may give you more options than maybe the council can give you. And that's not a criticism of the council, by the way. That's just the regulations that exist at the moment. So, you know, it's those sorts of things that we, by having that blank canvas approach and in a way by getting families to think in advance of the person dying, you're expanding their period of time in which they can actually think about these things. If it happens, mum's died today and we now need to think about it and we've only got 10 days because that's when the funeral's going to be. It's a very short time span. Think about that. You know, that's a very short time span. What about dysfunctional families? I mean, we've been talking, you know, as if uh, there's a great love for granny or mum or dad or whatever. But, of course, we know that very sadly that often that's not the case and relationships and families, you know, can be soured. Oh, for yes. all sorts of different reasons. I guess that that requires for even greater, greater sensitivity mm. because, you know, e- even where there has been a total breakdown in a relationship, people still have to face the fact that whoever they may have had an issue with you know, is no longer here. Um, I, I do come across that much. A lot. It always amazed me, actually. 25 years of doing this and people still say to me, I'm sure this has probably never happened before. <laughs> you know, uh, believe me, it's happened before. Um, I mean, I've had families before in two different rooms. And we've actually done shuttle diplomacy effectively. Do you know what's fascinating? Is most families agree. What they don't agree on is the fact they don't that they agree. <laughs> and so what I always say to people is give away the things that don't matter to you. So if you say have two sons who aren't talking to one another and haven't spoken for years, mm. they may well be that one of them is really hooked on the coffin choice. Really important to that person. They want a particular coffin for their mum or dad or whoever's died. Um, the other son probably couldn't give a, couldn't care less. Yeah. So, but they really care about the flowers or where the hearse goes from or the church, the service is taking place or the crematorium, whatever. And so you give away the things that don't matter in order to keep the things that do. Mm. And that's a lot of our role is to actually work out with families what matters to you. But, you know, there is dysfunction and there are people who die who nobody liked very much. And actually, you get far more respect out of me by admitting so that. So it could be a real celebration of death. Absolutely. Then. And you get, you know, I will, I, will, I will respect you far more if you come to me and say, look, you know, he was a miserable old so-and-so, but he was our dad. And mm. nobody really liked him because he never had a good word to say about anybody. I can work with that more so than I can with coming in and telling me that he was this godlike person when everybody else knows that's simply not true. But, you know, we actually had a situation recently, and, and Lauren, who's here with me, uh, today actually she, she was involved in this where we had a, a, a guy who came to his brother's funeral purely to insult him he walked in insulted him and left really yeah now again is that for me to criticize oh, him? publicly or in the chapel yeah it, it was a public thing but actually is that for me to criticize him for that no i'm not here 
I often get asked, for example, if somebody was a murderer, if somebody was, you know, did bad things in their life, would I still look after them after they died? The simple answer is yes, because I'm not here to judge people in death. They'll get their judgment, especially we're talking on a station like this. You know, they'll get their judgment. Mm. What I'm here to do is to ensure the safe uh, passage of that individual's remains, their you know, their body they leave behind sure. from A to B. And and very often, you know, in, in support of families who are left behind, who who are genuinely thinking, what on earth do we do? Because it's known that this person wasn't great. But how do we actually recognize that? And, you know, there's some of the biggest challenges we have, but some of the most fascinating journeys I've been on with families have been, how do we get there to make it so that this person, you know, we acknowledge at least that they lived, if nothing else. So it does. Ha- it happens actually a lot more than people. There's a lot more dysfunction out there than um, probably some people might imagine. I'm beginning to think there's nothing new under the sun in your industry. You Not know. a lot. <laughs> Not to me anyway, but I'm sure I'm learning every day, though. Every day is a school day, so you never know. You never know. Now, obviously, the, the whole COVID uh, experience, I mean, and it has been difficult. It's been challenging for everybody. Um, but one of the more positive things that have come out of it, particularly for you and, and for the funeral industry? I think, I think it's forced the industry to look at itself. Um, it certainly look, made us look at ourselves and what are we doing to support families and what do we need to change that? But do you know something else, Blair? And, and it's a story I recall from a, a long time ago, but it's very relevant today. I looked after a lady who um, she died and her husband had come to us. It was actually in Norfolk, um, the, the, the family were, and they, they'd asked if I'd look after them. And um, he'd said specifically, please don't, uh, please don't touch her as in don't, you know, embalm her or or even go as far as touching her face, just leave her exactly as she is, because I was there when she died, and I understand, I already know what she looks like. So when she came into my care, I, you know, from a professional perspective, there were a lot of things I would have changed. But actually, when we took her home, he asked for her to go home, we placed her into her studio. She had this beautiful art studio which overlooked some fields and a church. I remember it very well. And she was in a, um, a coffin made from a banana leaf, like a wicker-style woven coffin. And we put her into this this in studio, and I took the lid off, and, you know, I said, oh, you know, we're ready, do you want to come on in? And, and he came in. And we stood together next to her coffin, just him and I in the room. And he said to me, isn't she just so beautiful? And we'd done nothing to her. She Exactly as she died mm. in hospital after a long illness. Isn't she just so beautiful? And, and it reminded me that day that sometimes you actually can't do anything to make it better. And I think that takes us forward to where we are now, where there have been things that we're not allowed to do right now. Um, and that includes the preparation of people. We, you know, we have worked yeah. around those regulations as much as we can. But, you know, sometimes you can't do anything to make it better. So don't mm. just let it be and bring people to a point where they can also feel that same way. And, and, I, th- and I think that's that's one of the big messages through this particular pandemic and i've i've said to you before i've worked in pandemics all over the world mm. this one's been extraordinary i have mm. to say compared to those others but we're actually saying we can't always make things better by by tinkering so actually let's just do what we can do and work as best with we can with what we can't Today's Hope FM Breakfast Show is brought to you by Chester Pierce Funeral Service. For individual support as unique as your loved one, visit chesterpierce.com. 
Yes, and I have in the studio today, who's very graciously stayed on to the final hour of the programme, uh, Steve Nimmo from Chester Pierce. He started the company, as, was it 10 years ago, Steve? Yeah, actually almost to the day. We celebrated 10 years about mm. two weeks ago. Well, we were, we were talking about celebrity funerals there a moment or two ago, and we were talking about Elvis. But, of course, the most recent celebrity funeral, I think, that made, certainly made an impact uh, on me was, was Sir Ken Dodd, you know. Uh, I mean, I've never seen uh, a celebrity who brought an entire city to a standstill. I don't know whether you've 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 had to deal with anything like that, Stephen. But I mean, that must have been because it's not just a question, of course, of the of the committal of the body in the memorial. Of course, it was before lockdown, mm. so then you could have back to back people lining the streets as we did. And of course, he had he had the coach and horses, mm. you know. Yeah, I mean, it, that becomes crowd control, doesn't it? Really. Um, we were just saying, weren't we, off off air there that you know. Ken Dodd married his his good lady the day before to avoid all the death taxes. Um, so <laughs> yes. he, he did have the last laugh with the tax man um, after his previous problems. Now I think actually that you know there are times when people do come out to 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 acknowledge a person, and you often see it, we'll see it. Um, uh, Jack Charlton, obviously having died on Friday, we'll mm-hmm. see that no doubt probably you know in Leeds and places like yeah. that. Um, but I, I'll be honest, the, the place I've actually seen it, which wasn't celebrity by any means, but the place I've seen it has been uh, Royal Wooden Bassett when we were bringing the soldiers back from Afghanistan oh, yeah. in particular. Um, and people came out there to acknowledge those hearses as they went through Royal Wooden Bassett, and that's how it got its royal moniker. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what was interesting, I was referring to that just the other day because you mentioned the Traveller family we looked after recently and five, 600 people along the high street as we took the hearse down, all clapping. And it's become quite a thing now. I've actually been, I've actually been applauded four times in the last few weeks. Actually, um, for was it you that were applauding? Well, Steve? I'd like to think so. I, <laughs> I really don't think it was, but uh, I'd like to think so. But actually, you know, it was it was at times like Royal Wooden Bassett in a very very somber moment. Not much celebration going on there for obvious reasons. That's where they started to applaud, and that is almost what gave us permission. To, to do something different rather mm. than just stand in silence, to actually do something rather more interactive. And that's where the applause began. And so, yeah, doing those sorts of the repatriations from Iraq and Afghanistan, which I spent a lot of time doing, um, you know, some years ago, that's where my first experience of, of real crowds. And it can be actually quite intimidating when you're leading a funeral cortege and there's crowds just literally a few feet away. It was interesting, you know, I mean, do you remember Princess Diana's mm, funeral? Because yeah. I, I, that was quite fascinating, wasn't it? Because the the, the nation, uh, you know, it almost came to a, to a halt, you know, in terms of the expression of grief. I don't think anybody could... I mean, I, I didn't go up to London, but Ian was working in London at, at the time, and I think I remember you saying to me that the smell of the flowers, you, you could smell the scent, you know, all, all over the city. But actually, grief on that on that scale it was almost unnatural wasn't it yeah it never one of the things that i've always been interested to know is is how much of it is genuine and how much of it is led in other words we feel we ought to do this i I need to be seen to to do this otherwise i'm people will think badly of me and again going back to what we will do we'll always ask people to act like individuals act like you feel you know and i think with diana in particular what happened during that week and there's a really fascinating i think it's on netflix but there's a documentary about the week you know the the week that changed the world kind of thing and and the way we grieved for her changed everything it almost gave us permission to outwardly grieve for britain you know for british people to be on the streets weeping and yeah and and i actually I, i didn't go to london then but when the queen mother died i my father and i i got home from work one day and i said look do you want to go and 
see you know laying in state if you want to go we kind of go now and it was about five in the evening and dad and i walked down the steps of westminster uh you the, know, the, the great hall the great hall there as the as big ben struck midnight oh. and it was an absolutely beautiful scene you know her coffin was laid out and so on i was a funeral director then and um i just think i was do you know what delighted me most about that i think looking back was that so many people came to pay respects to her so it proved it wasn't a one-off and you know it was different very different grieving of course because she was what 100 and however old she was um but no diana changed everything in terms of the way we grieve and mm. and that sense of permission to outwardly lay flowers leave messages and so on which you see a lot now if mm. you see someone who dies in a car crash you'll see flowers appear on the roadside oh, yeah. crosses um the ghost bikes you may have seen around and about where these bikes painted white and people want to acknowledge but mm-hmm. in, a, in a greater way than just... Mm-hmm. But also, do you think it's, there's something within all of us that even even though we may not know people, you know, so many people, you mentioned those accidents that happen uh, and you see, that, as you say, the flowers and the ghost spikes and so on, maybe placed there by people who didn't even know the, 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 the person who, who, who died. But... It, does that reflect that there's something in all of us that needs to grieve, you know, that, 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 that emotional side of us needs yeah. outlet? And, and I suppose that things like that give us the, give us the permission, as you say, to, to do it. I think so. And I think, I think we all have humanity within us. And, and I'm not ever sure. I mean, I've mentioned it to you before. I lost, we lost Dad last year. And I was with him when he died. And obviously, as the funeral director, it was a challenging time. Uh, you know, my my team around me were absolutely phenomenal. Did you do your dad's funeral? He came. To, he obviously came through us. Yeah. Um, I didn't conduct yeah. it on no. the day. I don't think that yeah. was my place. My place was my mum that day. Sure. Yeah. Um, uh, Nigel, who's one of my co-directors, directed it for us. But even now, I think I I asked myself, did I actually grieve properly for him? And I would say probably not. Mm-hmm. And there are moments to this day where you get caught. And very often that's through experiences of other people. Mm. So you'll either have something in common with them. So I lost somebody, you know, and now you have. And I say to all of my staff, please don't be afraid to to, to be emotional with these people. You know, mm-hmm. my sister will tell you, Lauren, I'm sure is the same. Um, Jody, uh, Charlotte, any one of us have probably stood at the back of a chapel and shed a tear for a family mm. because we have something in common with them in the fact that we've all lost someone. Mm. So I think we do have that. But it was, again, going back to Diana that I think suddenly we had this There sense was a watershed of, there, wasn't yeah, there? Yeah, I want to actually openly show you mm-hmm. how I'm feeling as opposed to the British way of keeping it in. Yeah. Of course, then the, the, the delayed grief is important. I mean, in Ireland, of course, where I'm, I'm from, as, you, as we have seen on the television we, we, with some of yes. the funerals, yes. uh, that, uh, well, shall we say the social distancing has it, not been observed no, in some No, there's not much of that gone on. Uh, but having said that, the, the, in Ireland... Uh, it can take uh, the burial is usually quite quick, yeah. usually, usually within three days. It's you know it's, it's quite a quick procedure. But from the point of the person uh, passing away, uh, they often will bring the body home. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I think probably less these days, but but certainly whenever I was a Still boy, happens. that was the case. And then the world and his cat, mm-hmm. you know, uh, come and they have tea. I mean, one of my jobs as a, as a boy when my my brother died and uh, I have memories of those three days of back to back you know running a restaurant uh, because it was teas and coffees and um, so there's all this activity and then of course the funerals are big yeah. um, but then it's after yeah. you know and, and I think there's after everything goes flat yeah. and it's it, I think it's then that then 
the grieving yeah. process. It's, you're all, it's almost being delayed by all the other activity. Do you know something? I always I refer to my mum in this, and she may be listening. She may not. It depends whether she can work her iPad this morning. As well, you know, <laughs> my um, but I've always said that no matter what you do, no matter who you surround yourself with, there comes a moment where you shut the front door and you're on your own, and you can't help that. No. Now she's got an enormous black Labrador dog, who keeps her company greatly, but in the end you shut the front door and you're on your own and you can't there's nothing you can do to change that mm. now mum approaches what happened to her my dad as she was incredibly lucky to have 60 years with him mm. and that's how she looks at mm. her life now mm. that she had 60 amazing years with my dad there will be other people who will actually say you know they'll be angry because he's gone yeah and i think what puts mum in a very positive place is that capacity to say Do you know what i was just really blessed to have him all that time mm. but in the end, no matter what I can do, my sister, our friends, our family, there is a moment where the front door shuts and she's on her own. And that's the biggest challenge that we have, because you're right, funerals and death in the UK are very front-loaded. So somebody dies and you have all this activity, arranging the funeral, registering the death, getting all the certificates, all, all of that stuff, mm. and then suddenly it stops. And it's actually something that we've become much more involved in as a funeral service. Like, um, we have coffee mornings. Well, we did until lockdown, but we have coffee mornings. And it started out Jodie, who, one of my team, she started it and has done a brilliant job. But two people came to the first one. And I think the last one before lockdown, there was about 17 or 18 people. The only thing they had in common was the fact that they'd they lost, lost somebody. somebody. Mm. But it gave them a, a platform just to talk without being judged, without people saying, oh, for goodness sake, are we doing this again? Because yeah. <laughs> actually, you know, the wider public, they do struggle with that mm. talking. You know, oh, do we have to, you know, because I don't want to hear it. Mm. Not because you need to say it, but I don't want to hear it. Sure, yeah. And I think, as I say, it's something that we're very aware of is that moment where the front door shuts and you're on your own. And it's how do we actually, how can we help you prepare for that? Mm. And I think also probably like your mum, and certainly I feel it with my brother and those who have been quite close to my mum my and dad. But people who you're who have been close to, you know, they never really die. No. Uh, I mean, yes, there is a period of, of extreme grief and we all deal with grief in different ways you know I know that but actually you know whenever I think now no doubt you think about your dad Mm. and your mom thinks about you know her her husband and whatever but actually the the memory Mm. never never dies and and we say to people always talk if somebody comes to look at look at their loved one in our chapel of rest spend time there the first thing we say to them when they leave is go home look at pictures look at pictures when they were alive when they were well because what you've seen in the chapel is to pay respects, but that's not how you remember them. How you remember them is when they were living. When they were living, yeah. Go home, look at video. Nowadays, of course, you know, <laughs> we're so blessed, aren't we, with having access to video like that. Um, mm. But no, certainly in mum's case, you know, we talk about dad all the time. Mm. And, and I hope we advise all of our clients, for goodness sake, you know, let's not put them away because they've died. Let's keep them out. Let's keep talking. And if you keep talking about people, it keeps them with you. And I just think that is so important in the grieving process. This is Hope FM. My share of happiness. <laughs> well, of course, Mr. Ken Dodd brought a lot of happiness to people in life. And actually, it was incredible <laughs> that in his death, those same people in the city of Liverpool, not the Ash, actually, uh, were 
it's a real place and where he was born and lived most of his life. But, uh, but of course, his death brought tremendous celebration as people fill, filled the cathedral in Liverpool, lined the streets, of course. And, uh, and of course, they, they had the, the horses, they had the full works there. Did you, mm. Do you often get asked for that? Yeah, we do. I mean, it, again, it's, it's, you know, it's about those people coming to us and, you know, saying, can we? Is it possible? I've seen this. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, we do have horse-drawn funerals. Um, they have their challenges, as you can imagine. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, we do have them and, and they're beautiful. I mean, I'm a great traditionalist, so to have horses is something that I love to do. Um, and as, yeah, it's about families. And again, people think it's quite expensive, but there's some very reasonable services that can be provided through uh, some of our local suppliers of horses. So it's very possible. Now, fortunately, uh, it's the lighter moments in life, you know, that, that help us to get through some of the challenges. I, I told you the story, didn't I, about the funeral in Ireland where they had the wake. Mm. And there was the, the deceased led out in the coffin and everybody else was, you know, having a little pint or two and, you know, remembering. And as we have talked about just a moment or two ago, uh, when all of a sudden uh, the, the corpse, I don't know, must have jumped out of rigor mortis. But the deceased sat up in the coffin and made a noise. Rrr, you know, it was obviously the air coming out of their body. Well, you never saw a pub in Ireland empty so fast. Mm. Uh, you, you, you must have stories like that. What, what are the things that, that come to mind? Touch wood, that's never happened um, to me. You've not had anybody no, shoot up? No, thank goodness, um, in all my years. Um, no, I think actually... Again, people say to me, how do you deal with all the grief and the sorrow and the sadness? But actually, some of the places you'll find the most laughter is a family sat down making funeral arrangements mm-hmm. because they're sharing stories about... The little idiosyncrasies of the... Pro- yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and when I started out working in this industry all those years ago, um, I was working in a particular area of pool. Um, and this area... Um, and I won't name it because, again, I don't want to feel that I'm insulting people because I'm really not. They were wonderful, wonderful people. But they were a partic- almost like a particular race of people, people who thought going to Bournemouth was a day trip. You know, they, they were born in the same house that they died in, that kind of thing. Never left the area. Never left the area. And they were absolutely wonderful people to look after. But, but I remember one, there was a, a gentleman who died in Spain. He'd gone abroad uh, for holiday. And um, he'd been out there seven, eight, nine days, something like that. And he died. He just, he just dropped dead. And um, he had these two sisters, and the three of them lived in the same house they were born in, never got married. You know, they were these two spinsters. And they came in to see me in the office. And bearing in mind, we were in the height of summer, and they both had woolly hats and raincoats on. You know, it was that kind of thing. Because um, that's what you wore when you went out. You know, that's just what you did. You didn't worry about the weather. You worried about the weather today, but you didn't worry about the weather. It was about, that's what you wore. Anyway, <laughs> they came in, and eventually we made the arrangements and so on. And they said, oh, can we see him? Can we see him? So when we get him back, because we do bring people back from abroad quite a lot. And mm-hmm. I said, when we get him home, we'll look after him. And yes, you can come and see him. Anyway, eventually they came to see him and they went in there. And as a funeral director, it is that moment when you let a family go and see their loved one for the first time. How are they going to respond mm-hmm. positively? Does it look like them? It looks nothing like them. Oh, my goodness. Why mm-hmm. did I come? All that kind of thing. Anyway, these two ladies stood there for a moment and they looked at him and they, 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 they nudged one another. And one of the sisters said, oh, she said, just look at him. She said, look at him. She said, that holiday done him the world of good. Doesn't he look lovely? <laughs> and, uh, of course, I stood there in the door thinking, well, actually, that holiday killed him. But, um, but you know, um, but, you know people, people do re- that sort of sense of speaking out loud, really. It's almost like, you know, you, you have the, uh, the, 
the permission to say what's in your brain and just let it fall out of your mouth. And certainly those, there's been many occasions where that sort of thing's happened, yeah. <laughs> Today's Hope FM Breakfast Show is brought to you by Chester Pierce Funeral Service. For individual support as unique as your loved one, visit chesterpierce.com.